Welcome back to the Voice of Benchmark, the ESG management podcast. I'm Sarah Crow, a lead specialist with the product marketing team here at Benchmark Digital and today's host. In this episode, we'll be discussing how compliance training fits into the greater ESG picture, how organizations can incorporate emerging training innovations and simplify their compliance training management programs with transformative digital solutions. We'll also share some new and exciting developments on the horizon for our MyLMS compliance training solution. For this episode, we have Benchmark Digital's Senior Vice President of Services, Doug Martin, and we're also joined by Don Leonard, President of Markham, Benchmark's strategic content partner. Markham is one of the preeminent producers of online safety and regulatory training courses with several robust course libraries and state-of-the-art microlearning and adaptive learning course formats. But before we jump right in, can each of you please give us a little more information about your roles within your organizations? Sure, I can kick things off. This is Doug Martin, as uh, Sarah mentioned. I've been with the Benchmark team for about 18 years now. I started off uh, servicing some of our early customers. And as we've continued to grow, I've stepped into more of a project execution and strategic project focus area. Over the past three years, I've been working heavily with uh, our team to build out what we're referring to as MyLMS, our most recent innovation around training compliance but my, my engagement in our training solution started early on as I was supporting some early adapters of our training tracker solution. And as companies changed and evolved, the early adopters started asking us questions about what does the future hold for this training suite or training solution through Benchmark. So I was working with our uh, chief uh, product officer, Vijay Oluru, uh, back in, I remember, 2006, 2007, putting together some of the specs for what is now known as MyLMS. So we've been working uh, towards this solution for a number of years, and it's exciting to continue to evolve and adapt, especially as we're, uh, I'd say, mid-pandemic. I'd like to say post-pandemic, but I'm going to say mid-pandemic and how that's really lit things on fire to to force us into different types of engagement with uh, our end users and employees. Don? Yeah, I'm Don Leonard, president and co-founder of the Marcom Group. We've been around for a long time. When we started the company, VHS videotape was state-of-the-art media, um, and we have progressed through DVDs, interactive CD-ROMs, and now, of course, to online training. In terms of what I do for the company, pretty much everything nobody else wants to do is what I get to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do deal with strategy. I am actually the last uh, quality control point for all of our courses. I go through all of them before we put them out in the marketplace. Um, I set strategy for us in terms of product type, in terms of uh, what markets we want to address, and that plays a big part in what we produce. Um, Other things that I do here, uh, we are expanding our facility, so I get involved in that kind of thing. So it's the kind of job that is lots of fun, gets me involved in lots of things. Wonderful. Thank you both. I look forward to hearing more about you, uh, both of your perspectives on compliance training and how it impacts ESG. So compliance training should be a consideration for every organization building out you know, their key performance indicators, goals, and strategies. But can you share more on how compliance training fits within that broader ESG framework? Doug, no, would you like to start, start us off with that question? Sure. Um, compliance and safety training basically weaves its way through everything in a facility. Um, When you think about it, you know, compliance and safety boils itself down to two really basic concepts. Um, One is making sure employees know how to work safely. And the other is making sure employees know what to do if, in fact, something goes wrong. 
And if you can do those two things, you really have done what you want to do with regard to compliance and safety. The fact that sometimes you're complying with an OSHA reg uh, is important, certainly, but those regs are aimed at those two things, making sure employees can work safely and making sure they know what to do if an incident occurs. Um, as a result, I mean, it naturally fits in all kinds of conversations that people have within a company, supervisors to employees and so on, not just formal training sessions, but you have things like toolbox talks, just conversations within a department. You know, you have an incident, everybody's going to get together and they're going to start to talk about what happened, how can we fix it, those kinds of things. So it really is pretty much omnipresent every day in an employee's life and a company's life. Now, Don, you just hit on a couple of different areas here as well. You talked about things like training and toolbox talks, while our benchmark solutions consider those different objectives. What type of content do you have that would be more focused on a toolbox talk versus a more robust OSHA-based um, full, full type of a training session? Well, that question really gets you into one of the things that has happened in the last couple of years. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the training industry and you hear about a couple of environmental changes and micro learning is really the answer to what you're talking about I and mean, toolbox talks tend to be short focused people need to get into them get out of them and get back to work micro learning allows you to do that i mean a micro learning course typically is three to five minutes long no longer um, you can put a couple of them together and in fact you can make curricula and do need to make curricula out of microlearning courses when you're dealing with compliance issues like OSHA regulations. Um, but, you know, microlearning, there's a whole myriad of things that it does really well for you um, in terms of getting, not only getting information to employees in small chunks, which is, there's this thing called this forgetting curve that people talk about. Um, and what it says is, if you go into a full-length training session, no matter how it's conducted, whether it's a classroom, whether it's a 45-minute online course, six weeks later, you've gotten 80% of what you should have learned. Um, that's not very encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. So in order to try and you know, affect that in a positive way, people started to say, well, you know, if we give people, give employees information in smaller chunks, does that make a difference? And it makes a huge difference the retention rates go way, way up. So in addition to being able to kind of get it into the field and get people in and out of training quickly that a lot of jobs require, um, they remember a lot more about what you're trying to teach them. Interesting. Now, toolbox talks, I, I still think of the older adage where legitimately someone is standing on top of their toolbox so they can get above their their team mm. and they're preaching something that they likely heard earlier that day in a, a leadership meeting or report out. So are you seeing the adoption of microlearning in those cases in a traditional manufacturing setting or are you seeing it more for dispersed services type work organizations where my team of people isn't necessarily in front of me on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, actually it can be used in both environments, Doug. I um, certainly it plays to getting information out in the field because it's short, as we said, mm -hmm. I mean, employees tend to need to get in and out of their training quickly. Um, it also lets them manage their own scheduling because microlearning typically is drawn down by the employee. It's not scheduled for them like traditional training when you go into a class at 11 o'clock. 
Um, so when they've got a break, either going into lunch, between tasks, those kinds of things, micro learning fits really nicely into there. Um, but also in a facility environment, micro learning works because of some of that, because that those employees in a facility, even though they can get together or they can get to a learning center, they still have the issues of how do I manage my training within my schedule? And if yeah. you let the employee manage it in the facility, they can do the same thing. They can between setups, between meals, all those kinds of things, in and out of activities, they can draw down a micro-learning course. It'll take three to five minutes and they're done. Which speaks to one of the major, there's two major advantages to micro-learning. This distribution of training and how employees get it is one. The other one is recovering lost productivity. And that's where the corporate people in a company really get interested because the biggest cost of training isn't an instructor, it isn't buying a bunch of courses, it's employees' time away from man work. Hours. Yeah, it's man hours, absolutely. It's lost productivity. And anything you can do to recover that drops right to the bottom line for a company. So if an employee is doing micro-learning between tasks and stuff, essentially that's absorbed time. So they're not really losing any productivity. And companies can save a lot of money. <laughs> so I. When I think about the ESG context of things, I'm also thinking about how does this information get reported out on a sustainability type of report? Historically, you would show that you had 98% of your training compliance requirements completed by a certain time, a certain month. How does microlearning impact those types of training metrics that are more of a legacy from how sites are saying they're managing their training programs? Well, it's not all that different, uh, it really isn't it? You can still give task employees with schedules in terms of, well, you need to complete these courses by this time. You need to, you know, the, the whole training used to be once a month meetings. That psychology is still carried forward. Even when you're doing online training, micro learning, any other form, uh, you're tasking your employees typically with, okay, complete this course by the end of this month. Now, next month, complete this other course by the end of the month. And the LMS, of course, is keeping track of all of this. Sure. So you're, what you're saying is whether you're doing a one-hour session on lockout, tagout preparedness or six different micro-learnings, you're still able to say that I'm meeting my training obligations and keeping my employees safe. Absolutely. And your example is a great one because one of the first questions you get when you're talking to people about micro learning is, well, how can I give my employees the required training from an OSHA reg in three to five minutes? And yeah. the answer is, oh, well, you can't. <laughs> as you say, you know, you can create a curriculum, which is what we've done with our courses, where you have five or six or seven micro learning courses that are all within the lockout tagout curriculum. And once the employee makes his way through all of those courses, they've satisfied the OSHA requirement. Interesting. I was getting ready to challenge that piece. I was about to say it doesn't replace the one hour course, but you're saying it can depending on how the curricula is structured. Absolutely. And that's one of our strengths. I mean, a lot of people have started to get into micro learning. We have by far the biggest library, but, mm -hmm. but they haven't done this kind of curricula organization that lets you use it for compliance training. And it, yeah. that's key. I mean, you have to have a curricula bill that will essentially give the employee the same information they would have gotten in a 45-minute one-time online course. And looking at your data, when we're talking about pass rates, mm -hmm. 
if you're looking at the one hour type of course versus the micro learning curricula, well, how big of a difference are you seeing in the micro learning completion success rates compared to the legacy full length video success rates? Or well, completion that's interesting. Rates? Actually, it's not that much of a difference because what you're doing is you're accumulating that information at the end of the course, no matter whether it's micro learning course. Uh, okay. Or the legacy course. So the information is all fresh. Yeah. Even if it's a 45 minute course, I mean, if we've done a good job in a 45 minute course, <laughs> the employee will remember that information. It's what happens later where the micro learning courses really come into their own in terms of information retention. The other thing that you can do with micro learning courses is that a great refresher because they're short. Yeah. So for instance, carrying forward your lockout tagout example, one of the chapters in our lockout tagout curricula is on group lockout tagout. So you get, you got an employee, they're going into a group lockout tagout environment and they say, gee, I don't remember what I'm supposed to do with my lock. Pull up the lockout tagout micro learning course and it'll yeah. tell you. It gets people as close as I've seen to what a lot of folks say is the holy grail of training, which is performance support. You know, give people the information they need to do their jobs at the moment they need the information. So it's getting you really close to that environment. Yeah, very interesting. Um, one of the other things that we've heard a little bit about is adaptive learning. So in your in your mind or in your words, what's the difference between micro learning, adaptive learning and full course type learning? Okay, well, micro learning versus full course, we've talked about. I mean, yes. essentially, micro learning, you put them all together, you've got a full course. So it's, it's kind of the same thing, but broken out differently. Adaptive learning is really exciting as far as I'm concerned, and it's the newest thing in the safety and regulatory compliance training realm. Employees, employers, well, employees have one major complaint about safety training, and that is. I'm doing the same training over and over and over again every year because OSHA requires it in a lot of cases, or my employer says, back safety training is so important, you have to do it every year. But I've been working here for seven years. I know this stuff. Why am I doing this again? It's wasting yeah. my time. Adaptive learning addresses that by essentially testing the employee before they jump into the course and determining what they really know about whatever the course topic is. So let's okay. say we're talking about back safety. What you do is you take a full-length course, essentially, and you put a test at the beginning. The test has to be reasonably sophisticated in that it's made up of questions from all the chapters in the course because full-length courses are always chapterized. Yes. Okay, so you test the employee. The test question pool comes from the chapters, but and they maintain their link to the chapters within the course structure. So if an employee gets all of the questions for a particular chapter right, our courses on the fly will reconfigure themselves so the employee can skip that chapter. So it's sort of like the micro learning curricula, but a little bit more advanced. So you can very, test out certain sections. That's very perceptive. Yeah, it really is. Um, and again, it speaks to employee frustration. They're seeing that they can demonstrate their knowledge so they can skip chapters. Right. But also recover product productivity because our early results, and this is a brand new type of course, our early results are showing that employees typically test out of about half the chapters in a course. So now you're compressing training time down by half. That's a lot of money for a company. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Karen, I'm, I'm looking through some of the questions here from, from the benchmark side of things. We've talked a lot about the course content, and the course structures. Um, just wanted to put a, a bit of a, a flavor in here about what the LMS side of things looks like at Benchmark. Mm. Being that it was built off of a product that was developed over 20 years ago, <clears throat> the core to how we apply our solutions is based on what we refer to as our training matrix. And it's how you identify an employee as they're coming on board to an individual facility, to a department within that facility, and then it allows you to batch assigned training content. So you were talking about curricula, and we take that curricula and we apply a couple additional lenses to it to say that curricula only applies if you work in this department to make it easier for that learning and development owner, um, responsible person at the site or corporate to ensure compliance with local regs um, as, as the employees are coming on board. Because I, the other piece that I heard you talk about, Don, was a company will still want to be able to say that you've gone through that full-length course in a lot of cases mm -hmm. within your first few weeks on the job. From there, they want more flexibility to say, now that we've trained them, we've certified them, now we need to keep things going out to them in bite-sized pieces, mm -hmm. which goes into more of that ongoing renewal of information. Yep. So exactly. and that's, that's where I think our, our matrix really comes into play and to be a huge benefit for our customers because they can apply that full-length course up front, get the fact that they've, they've certified their employees end-to-end, -end, and then I like the idea of the adaptive or micro-learning as, as a refresher, whether it's one year out, two years out, five years out, mm -hmm. to be able to say, now you're still in the same job or same type of job, but now we need to make sure that you still remember all of that other information that you learned a couple of years ago. Yeah, and, and the point you touch on with curriculum is really important function of an LMS. I mean, one of the problems that companies have, frankly, is defining what training their employees need in various groups. And if you have them do it entirely up front, they do a very bad job of it. But if you give them an ongoing curricula function within their LMS and they're getting into it, and now the employees are starting to take training and people are really looking more closely at what types of activities the employees involved in and what courses speak to those activities, you start to build your curricula for each department or job function and you really get an effective environment that way. Absolutely. And, and being able to do it in groups, as you mentioned, it provides a lot of extra assurance to legal and HR that the, the employees in each of my areas are properly trained to be successful in their job, in their area, and to do it safely. And then if something happens in that area, it allows you to run some quick reports, trend on is this a training course that we missed? Is this a training opportunity for renewal? And you can apply it to that group of employees without having to go to HR to look through the Excel document and say, okay, manually add this person, manually add that person. Yeah. It automates that entire interaction. Yeah, it's great. It's really efficient doing those kinds of things. And Doug, more to the topic of specifically benchmarks my LMS, can you also talk about what is the implementation process like for anyone who is unfamiliar with benchmarks my LMS? 
Absolutely. We, we typically break it into um, four different chunks. So when we talk about implementing a learning and development solution, the first thing we talk about is the employees. We need to be able to make sure that we understand who the employees are and where they're associated at the site. That way we can go back to what Don and I were talking about with being able to batch assign courses, which takes us to point number two, which is the courses. The second piece comes in to say, we know by operating in this state or country uh, province, these are the regulations we need to meet. So you're really looking at what the regulations are and then saying, here's how I'm meeting those. Then you're looking at what you do as a company and adding courses in, into that. So now we've got this long repository of people and a long repository of courses. And historically, LMSs have been challenged by saying, I have employee A, and now I need to look through all of these courses and assign them out. Now I go to employee B and I repeat that same action. That's where we bring in our third step, which is building out that training matrix. So that you can say, based on my company structure, here's a group of courses that every employee needs to take. Okay. Then it goes down a level. Based on your business unit, your organization, your PL, here's another group of courses that everyone needs to take. Go down one step further to the site and to the department within the site, and it's the same thing. It's groups of courses to everyone at that facility. And then we have some add-on options as well to say, we also know that it's not just a one-to-one -one structure. We know that some employees in a department also do other tasks. So we give you the ability to do tasks for things like um, emergency response. Mm -hmm. So you could have an employee in shipping and receiving and an employee in finance that are both part of the emergency response team. So now you can go through and group those courses together and assign it to individual employees. And then by all means, we, we know that um, employee level training is important, so we give that that last level. So that ends up being three of our four areas. And the last one historically has been testing, because once you've gone through training content, you need to test. But over time, that has started to adapt to either testing or content. And that's where Markham comes into play because we've integrated with their content library, which has embedded testing. Mm -hmm. If sites don't have, or if they have a unique um, training need, they may build a PowerPoint presentation to do a specific type of content, and they could still leverage the integrated testing model in order to test the employee's knowledge of that through our full solution. But that really talks end to end how we would go about structuring it. Then we talk about when do you want to apply it? <clears throat> and Dom, one of the things you said earlier strikes a, a chord with me. I remember, uh, heck, probably 15 years ago, one of the companies we work with was doing a very structured month to month training plan. But every year they moved training content around. So I always pick on Lotto for some reason or powered industrial trucks, but they would do lockout tagout training in January. And then next year they would do it in August. And the year after that, they would pick in June or July. So it created this monster because our system was built off compliance. By you not maintaining that January date year after year after year, mm -hmm. you're out of compliance for certain time periods. Yeah. So I think looking back at what they were doing, they were really trying to foreshadow or forecast this need for micro learning without even telling us. <laughs> uh, that would have given them that ongoing compliance piece, uh, even in the midst of 
their full lockout tagout trading program moving from various months over the time. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, did that answer the question for you? Yes, I think it did. Excellent. I think the only piece I didn't go into detail on was that's how you apply it. And then there's the reporting side of things where um, we provide a couple of different layers of reporting. One of the layers is the supervisor. So being a supervisor, I've got direct reports. In the MyLMS solution, I've got the ability to see how complete all of my employees are on their training. And I can see what they're qualified to execute as well at any given time. Those numbers then roll up to my site in order to show how complete are we overall, which ends up impacting our ESG okay. report, which we talked a little about, about talked about a little bit earlier as well. Don, are there any things that we didn't hit on that you would normally think uh, to talk through on an implementation of an LMS? LMS, no, I think you pretty well covered it. You, you've got a nice LMS. I mean, we're exposed to lots of them, and my LMS seems to do a really nice job. Um, you know, it, the functionality is great. The reporting is key because you're right. I mean, and reporting, unfortunately, sometimes comes into play more when something happens. As you said, you know, gee, what we had a fire break out over in the corner of that department. Okay, what happened? And, and then have we trained our people on how to use fire extinguishers? Are they even supposed to use fire extinguishers over there? You know, how do we prevent it? How do we deal with it when it happens? And the LMS and its organization, of course, is and who's taken what and being able to see that really quickly is really important. Our, uh, that, that made me think I, I've seen some content that goes more into the artificial intelligence or virtual reality so that using the case of a fire, it trains the employee what to do when it breaks out mm -hmm. because instinct takes over. So if a fire breaks out, my instinct is either to go use the fire extinguisher or to run, evacuate. Mm -hmm. So is Markham doing anything or exploring opportunities around virtual reality, artificial intelligence to help expose people to a real life situation before it happens? Well, some of our courses actually do that. The fact that we use video in all of our courses is really, really important. And we stayed out of online training until the infrastructure was strong enough and the transmission speeds were high enough to really support video. Because to your point, you need to be able to show people how to do things. Um, so we've got our fire extinguisher program is a great example. I mean, it takes somebody th through how do fire extinguishers work? How do you read a label real quick? Because if you use the wrong fire extinguisher, you're liable to blow the place up instead of- It makes fire. it a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. So, so we have courses that do that. A lot of our courses try to demonstrate. That's why we like video so much. I mean, you demonstrate what you should do and how you should do it correctly, or don't do this and here's what you're doing and here's the result if you do it the wrong way. Um, we are partnering and co conversing with people who are in the legitimate VR market, video, you know, virtual reality market. Yep. Um, to me, it's really in its infancy. It's been around for a while. Um, mm -hmm. Courses are very expensive to produce. Um, and then you've got the equipment issue. I mean, you've got, everybody's got to have a headset, that kind of thing to work with virtual reality. That's all evolving. Uh, right now, we don't see mass market adoption of that, frankly, um, but we're staying in touch with it. We're talking to people. The first step is we're talking to people, interestingly enough, in the VR world that need content 
they need to uh, they need a roadmap as to how to build courses. Well, we've got all this content, so we can, we can hand them essentially kind of a script from our video and say, here, here's what you need to demonstrate. Now go build your VR course. So that's that's starting to get close. We may be doing some of that. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a different immersive experience. Again, the video is absolutely it gets there instead of just reading words on a slide. Mm -hmm. um, but the minute that you get to pick my my direction, okay, I see that there's a fire. What happens? And I click the button that says I would do this. Yeah, it gives you a very different reaction emotionally and physically. So really interesting that you guys are exploring it in in that that arena. Yeah, and we try and keep up with technology, and we have always managed to. And it's one of the things, yeah. frankly, that keeps this business interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what about um, devices? So again, microlearning, we, we've touched on the fact that it's great to have it at the point of action when you need it. You can mm -hmm. watch it on a cell phone, and it's pretty easy to process. Mm -hmm. Do you find the same thing with full-length videos or the adaptive courses as well, to where they're conducive to watching on mobile devices? Tablets, yes. Cell phones, not so much. Okay. It's it's really taxing for somebody to take a really small screen like you get on a cell phone and focus on it for 30 minutes or 45 yeah. minutes um, and do the interactions too because you're working with a much smaller keyboard kind of thing. Sure. Um, so, yeah, that can be challenging. Um, on the other hand, micro learning can work on any device. So we talk about backwards compatibility. We have people using micro learning on desktops because they want to get in and get out. Their schedules are such that it's really easier to do it that way. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, the mobile device kind of splits itself into the bigger ones like tablets mm -hmm. and then the smaller ones like uh, phones. Very interesting. I, I can see exactly what you're uh summarizing there i'm visualizing my phone and i'm like okay i i, I can get it something short and sweet three to five minutes mm -hmm. similar to instagram posts or reels it makes sure. sense i can capture it but YouTube. The, yeah. the minute it goes past five minutes i tune out or there i try to fast forward or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll look at that later on a bigger screen that's yeah. exactly how it works yeah that makes a lot of sense uh don you uh Doug had asked you the question about, you know, are there any future plans for um, AR and machine learning, but are there any other exciting new developments on the horizon at Markham? Oh, lots. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> We're in a real exciting time. First of all, let me step back a little bit and talk about online learning itself, itself for a minute. The trending before COVID was, was toward online learning for all its advantages. It's individualized. You can have people you can you, you have people that can use it and fit it into their schedules as opposed to going into a class and having to interrupt their workflow and all of that. So, you know, online learning, those kinds of advantages were always there. COVID just poured fuel on the fire of online learning. Um, first of all, you have lots of people working from home. Well, how the heck do you get them trained? Well, the internet's basically the only way. <laughs> and even when you have people coming back in their, into their facilities, Nobody wants to put 20 or 30 employees in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those kinds of sessions are really not happening as much at all as they used to. So again, it's on it's online learning, whether it, you're at your desk, whether you have a kiosk somewhere out in the facility, it's getting to the point where individualized online learning is absolutely what everybody's starting to do. Um, 
I think we're so, seeing that as well, Don, from our side. Mm-hmm. The, the pandemic and what COVID did from a learning and development, it really put people into a different mentality to say, how do I do what we've been doing in a different manner? Now, it did take until probably about three to four months ago, so midsummer, mm-hmm. um, to where we started to see the spike in interest in my LMS and integrated learning content. Because up to that point, people were, were thinking, okay, we've got the PowerPoint contents, we've got videos that we've done historically, we can still push those out to our employees and get through the initial curve, the initial pandemic. Mm-hmm. But as they started to see things peak again, I think that's really where they started to say, we need to do something different. Are you seeing that from other groups that you work with as well from interest or has it just really skyrocketed across the board from the entire pandemic in your opinion? Pretty much across the board. Although speaking to your point about using the quote old technology for a while, yeah, we maintain pretty good sales for things like um, DVDs for a while, up until, interestingly enough, about three or four months ago. <laughs> and we've seen a significant drop off of that. And p- people who were using DVDs um, are now using some form of online training. No question Absolutely. about it. In terms of what we're doing, I mean, we are growing like crazy. Um, we are We've, we've got the same problem everybody else seems to have. We're going to hire people and they're not out there yet. So we're trying to find some people to bring in because one of our goals is to double our output within the next 12 months. And we can do that. We've got the processes in place. We have the procedures in place. We know what we're doing with regard to producing product. We're also, to help that along, we're building sets and spending a fair amount of money building sets inside our building. Um, typically, if you're in this business, you find companies out there who are willing to let you into their facilities so you can shoot videotape and demonstrate what you want to demonstrate um, because you don't have a machine shop and you don't have a healthcare facility. And, you know, if you're doing courses for those kinds of environments, you've got to find them somewhere. Well, we just finished building three healthcare sets, for instance. We've got, we've got a patient room, a doctor's office, and a nurse's station. So we can shoot a lot for our healthcare programming. Um, So we're building a chemical storage slash hazard set. (laughs) Uh, We've already got a construction set. So we're doing those kinds of things. And we're really excited about that. And the the combination of that and bringing on more employees is going to enable us to get lots more courses out there. One of the things that that will let us do is address new markets or new topic areas. For instance, we're releasing by the end of this month, which is like, what, 10 days away, maybe, uh, we will release a uh, group of 14 DOT transportation safety courses. The market's crying for those courses. Uh, we haven't had the ability to, to do something in that kind of, to that kind of scale up until recently. Um, the healthcare I mentioned, we're producing more and more courses for healthcare environments. We're getting into food preparation, food service, food production. It's another area where people need courses. So we're trying to develop more libraries in addition to maintaining the ones we've got, because one of the other issues you have with any format is how old is this course? (laughs) Are my employees gonna be seeing something where the cell phone looks like a walkie talkie because it's so big? Well, 
that's not going to be real effective. So we are constantly refreshing our library as well. So those kinds of things are, are keeping us going and, and are really exciting our folks. That is pretty exciting. Hearing you talk about some of those uh, chemical uh, storage facilities, I hope you're not storing actual chemicals. Puts in a whole different context. <laughs> I don't think we are. I think our barrels are empty and things like yes. that. <laughs> We never um, know. They could really be committing to the realism. No, no. <laughs> yes. We do like to do that. But <laughs> it, it also, interestingly, ties into some of the areas that we're going as well with more of connecting the information. So we, we've, we're a full suite EHS, ESG software solution for companies. So we don't only, only do training, but we also do your chemical uh, inventory. We do your chemical sweeps, your lab inventory, mm -hmm. um, employee injuries, you name it. And we're talking about how do you connect from an employee's perspective, all of the inter interactions that they have with potential hazards into a report. Mm -hmm. That way it's more from a medical view or a legal view, but it's also from the employee's understanding of when I start my job here, I might have to submit all of this information as a pre-screening survey, which will help my future employer understand what I've already been trained at or am certified at, but mm -hmm. it could also help build my training curriculum for the first couple of weeks on the job. As I look forward, I might also have um, industrial hygiene monitoring because I'm working with lead or chromium, which ties into a medical record, but it also ties into a training record as well. So trying to build that portal that says this employee has all of these individual exposures to opportunities or risks mm -hmm. has been one of those big innovations that we've been working on and we see it coming to fruition in the, in the coming months ahead. Oh, that's great to hear. And what you said just reminds me of some, something else that we had on our outline of things we wanted to talk about. How do employees feel about all of this stuff? Online learning, does it provide opportunities? Is it basically a pain in the neck? And how do they look at this? And what we've seen is employees view it in two ways. One, in a lot of cases, having more of this training under your belt gives you a platform for a promotion within your company because companies look and see, you know, does this guy know what lockout tag is all about? Is all about? Well, we've got an opening where that would be required. So we mm -hmm. wouldn't have to necessarily go back and train him again. So it makes him eligible for that kind of movement within the company. Employees love that. Yeah. The other thing is is the psychology of it all. I mean, employees want to know that companies care about them. You know, why do you retain employees anymore? I mean, especially now, you start to look at the job market and what do employees want besides money, which everybody wants. They want to, one of the things they want is they want to feel that they are valued and protected in this case. And mm -hmm. if you give them ongoing safety training, that engenders that feeling in the moment. My company cares enough that they're going to take time to give me this training so that I can work safely. Absolutely. I think that also carries into not just EHS training, but continued growth because some companies and some industries still expect things like uh, mentor mentorship or apprenticeships mm -hmm. in order to continue your growth as an employee. And through a learning management system, you can document that robust kind of five-year apprenticeship process and extended regulations that you need to understand and abide by. Yeah, interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. So employees really do buy into these kinds of things. I, I think in a lot of cases, people, people at first look say, 
well, you know, the employee looks at this because they have to take this training and that's how they view everything. And that's not true at all. I mean, it's more, it's deeper than that for most employees. It is uh, what I think we've started to hear, not necessarily our training content providers, put that giant disclaimer out here. <laughs> we are still pretty new and pretty fresh in how we're working with a couple of specific training content providers, but they're looking at the quality of the video or of the content and then how accurate is it against current regulation? Mm. So it's not only the, the content that's being presented, but some of these employees are coming in with years and years of experience and they're identifying challenges with mm. other types of content that we've integrated with in with their company. So, so they're identifying areas for improvement for some of our integrated partners as well. Absolutely. I mean, I like to say, as I said earlier, I'm the last QC point for our courses. But that's literally not true. Employees are the last QC point for your courses because they will tell you, as you say, if they Correct. see something and they say, well, that's not right. They will tell their boss and their boss will tell somebody and Correct. you will find out about it. <laughs> and I think that's also why we're being selective about the, the content providers we're working with. Mm -hmm. We don't have 50 different content providers for that very reason. It's something where we need to make sure that we trust the end provider that they're going to maintain current regulations and that the quality of the content is going to be top notch. So I think that that in a nutshell is one of the reasons why we've continued through this path to the point where we're finally seeing some of that return on the original investments. Yeah, and that's great to hear. Um, and there's a great current example of that. And we spend lots of time. I mean, I've talked about all our ambitions with growing our library, but also yeah. keeping things fresh and new. We keep our eye on regulations like nobody's business i mean it's as you say it's key to making sure you have credible product we've got the only covid course in the country that mentions the vaccine mandates that recently came out and we did that in like a week yes yeah. we are very responsive to and aware of changes in regs and what's going on some of the time it'll drive you nuts because covid is a great example things change every couple of weeks <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yep Pretty exciting. Um, Don, I appreciate you taking time to talk with, with me, with Sarah today about what you've seen going on around the industry over the past several decades and discussing how it really plays into what we've been envisioning and what we've been working with. Um, I do ex expect this to be a long-standing partnership as we continue to look through the, uh, the years and, and years ahead. And again, much appreciated for, for you joining us and for taking time out of your day to talk with us. Well, thanks for having me. We enjoy working with you and your folks. It's taken a, long, a little longer than any of us have anticipated, partially because of COVID. Um, but we're really excited about the opportunities, too. And we're just looking forward to the months and years ahead. Absolutely. Adoption has been fantastic over the past quarter. We expect that to continue to grow. That's great to hear. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for today's Voice of Benchmark podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode.